Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Good. <laughs> not too bad, not too bad at all. I'm loving the fact that summer has turned up. Oh, I was just about to complain about oh. how hot I am. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a curse, isn't it? Like oh, Janelle. It is. it is. Too pretty. It is. <laughs> too pretty. The burden. I'm sweltering because I've put Tony in. Tony's having a little lie down. I put the air conditioner on for him, but to avoid the noise, I shut the door. And so I'm getting no benefit of the air conditioner at all. And as you can see from the glorious light, even though I've got the blind down, I'm still getting a ton of light and sun in because the sun sets on that side. So it's quite warm in here, but uh, that's okay. I can cope with that. The boys are gesticulating to the sunshine coming at the back of their heads, so they'll yep. have sunburnt heads soon. Yeah, uh, And he's just looking around going, I don't know what you're talking about. It's sunny here. Well, all no, it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to be hotter here this afternoon than what it's turned out. There's a bit of cloud cover, so I'm... Kind of, and it was really windy this morning, so it's I'm fine. It's probably it'll be a little bit hot later, but it's fine now. As I am three hours behind you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, any good, any news? I moved into our house yesterday. Oh, that's, that's so exciting! Well yeah, it was a long day, but my family were really good, and my friend Gab, and we had a bit of a crew together, and I also had the removalist come. So by I think four thirty, everything was in the house. Oh, apart from the things that I think have been left behind because I'm looking around going, where's this, where's that? So I'm going to have to do a trip to the unit this week to actually pick up on all the things that were not taken, Take. but I don't think there'll be many. Are you living there yet, darling? Well, we stayed the night there last night. Ooh. But I was explaining to the boys that, the internet's on, but I haven't tested it, and I didn't want to take the okay. risk tonight. And I've got to get up at the crack of dawn and go to Bendigo in the morning, so I thought we'll stay here. Because you know, <gasps> are you are going to Bendigo f- tomorrow? I am going to Bendigo overnight. Overnight? Yes, I am. I'm going to be there. Oh, shall we have a date? Oh, no way. Shall we do dinner? <laughs> sure, that sounds like a great. Oh, plan. I love oh. that. Oh, what are you doing, go. Swanee? Oh, Swanee, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to Bendigo. <laughs> Oh, God. I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> I, would, I guess I would have. In Adelaide, oh, no, I, was yeah. gonna, I would be three hours behind. I was going to say I've got three extra hours, but it's the opposite. It's the other way going the other way, isn't it? Who are we? I'm Schmitty. <laughs> I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial, Trial by, by Wine. Oh, that was re- very sedate. Well done, was, ladies. That wasn't too bad. I'll tell you, it's all right for a hot Sunday night. And what are you drinking, speaking of wine? Well, we're having a Tinto, which Soda is... water? <laughs> no, no, it's a, um, a, like a, a spritzer. Oh. It's red wine with a bit of lemon and uh, soda. soda water in it. Is it nice? It's Delicious. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, very right. nice. And, very refreshing. And, 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 and I'm, um, I'm going to partake in a, a seltzer vodka and sparkling water that I'd bought for a friend when she what? came over. And then she didn't end up drinking them. You, you so, need yes. to make, warn me when you're going to break news like that. I, I was expecting I a DC again. It could be absolutely dreadful. Let's have a go. I'm a little bit concerned. It does say oh. it's rosé and raspberry flavour, which could be a bit high. Oh, rosé and raspberry. That sounds rough. It does sound smell very artificial. <laughs> <laughs> it's right up there with those rosés in a can that I had. Yes. That were like methylated spirits. Oh, no. I can't believe the first You're time you brought a drink to left? this in months, you've 
brought trash. I do have something else because I bought two sets of drinks. So I went and saw Dua Lipa recently. And oh, yes. I may have mentioned this, I'm not sure, but I had a drink there that was a can. It sounds horrendous even as I say it. A can of margarita. But mm. oh. it was really quite yummy. So I bought some of those. And I had one the other day and I say to my girlfriend, oh, try this. It's it's really nice. And my husband goes, maybe it's because it's full of sugar. And I went, maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked. And sure enough, the reason it was so yummy it was because it was basically <laughs> sugar and alcohol. I don't sugar. know. Sugar. So yes. but Syrup. having said that, I think it will be better than this. So I might have to go and get one of those and just put some soda water in it because I don't think this is going to be working. I want to know okay. if you're going to neck that so you can go on to your next one or if you're going to tip it down the sink. It kind of tastes like a hangover. Of- <laughs> <laughs> In a, in a can. It's something a bit, it's like old wine smell oh, and soda water. Oh. It's, 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 it probably smells like oh, me the day after I've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ugh. And Schmitty, what are you drinking? I hope you can bring us up a, um, a level. Drinking a mango chutney. Not really. No, oh, mango chutney in a trial by wine glass. I've Trying to pace myself, A, I've got a big story, and B, I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to end up having to go and get the furniture. So I'm just saying, well, as I said, Tony's having a nap and we have organised to pick up some dining chairs this this evening and I'm just playing it by ear as to whether or not I'll be the Desi. So just one neat little drink and I've got my soda water with me as well. Well, keep yourself nice. I think it's important for our listeners to understand as well as, you know, we say it's the beginning of Australian summer. It's hydration and heat and all those things are (laughs) just just trying to stay cool. Mm. Mm. So... I'll just, I guess, crack on into our story. I'll do it. Oh, hang on a minute. Do you want me to do it? Has anyone got a story for us today? No, <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I'm glad fabulous. you asked. Oh, my word is Chanel. Yes, I have. Uh, well, last week we guffawed our way through the appalling story of Dennis Rader and I cannot believe how much we laughed. I haven't actually edited it yet, but mm-hmm. I do recall laughing and laughing, not obviously at the horrible stuff, but we found something funny in it. Who, of course, is one of America's most notor- notorious silly, silly. One of America's most notorious silly killers. No, oh, I thought you were going to say celiacs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he might have been too. No, one of America's most notorious serial killers. So I thought it'd be a good idea to follow up with another incredibly famous serial killer. Ooh, oh, great. Even though Swanee had never even heard of oh, bacon, tomato and kale. Yeah. <laughs> is, 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 this one, is this one going to be, what was it, delightful as well? Oh, stop it. I'm so embarrassed. No, nothing delightful about this. No, nothing delightful no. about it. I have to apologise to everybody who thought that I'm some kind of sicko. I'm so sure yeah. that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is the story of Edmund Kemper. <gasps> have you ever heard of him? <coughs> yes. What did you say his name was today? Edmund Kemper. No. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you do a crime podcast and you've never heard of the most famous ones. I no, because I don't, because everybody knows. That's kind of the beauty of me is the fact that I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to our own podcasts. My cousin <laughs> oh, was telling me that. about one the other day that we listened to about us. He said, well, I listened to one when I was in London. I was like, what was it about? He started telling me and I said, whose story was that? He went, yours. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. I was like, I honestly, I cannot remember what goes on from one week to the next. I am a total I know failure. that you forget them the minute we do them. In fact, yeah. I had to look up Dennis Rader then. I kid you not. I just had to look it up on my phone. Who's Dennis Rader? He's bacon, tomato, kale. Yes. <laughs> I'm worried about me. I'm really worried. And remember, I'm the one who hardly drinks. No, I think it's what is a wrong with me? 
It's a disassociative fugue. Oh, uh, I think you'll basically... all be listening to this in the future going, they were the sign, the flags. The <laughs> <laughs> She's already had no memory. Oh, God. Anyway. Oh, God. Let me pour another drink. Yes. <laughs> so for you, Swanee, and also for other people who do not know this story, yes. it's gross. So there's a trigger warning if you're affected by themes of incest, violent murder, mutilation and rape. Oh, no, I, 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 I imagine I'm most people are sticking around then. <laughs> oh, no, I'm good. Some, some pretty some happy topics there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if these things really trigger you, then this is not the episode for no. you. So with that in mind, my sources I'm of going. media. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah. EdmundKemperStories.com. A thing that is called CVL tnation.com and i'm not sure if it's meant to be cult nation but it's got a v in it i'm not sure oh yeah i reckon it is maybe yeah murderpedia crimepiperblog.wordpress.com crime piper that's what it's called yeah it's a, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's follow, the... follow me rats <laughs> Ah, it's the crime paper. I don't know why it has a stupid accent on, but anyway. <laughs> oh, the crime paper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, and I also watched several YouTube videos featuring the big guy himself. Oh. So now you've got to keep up with this because do you remember we've talked before, Swanee, about dynasties? Yes. Well, there's a bit of a dynasty involved in this, oh. and we have Edmund Emil Kemper III, who is the protagonist of the story. He was born on the 18th of December in 1948 in Burbank, California, to Clarnell Stage, who was six foot tall, and Edmund Emil Kemper II, who was six foot six. Jeepers. Yeah, they're a tall family. Huge Clarnell back and then Ed- too. That's yeah, like being yeah, yeah. eight foot now. Yeah. Colonel <laughs> and Edmund the second or Ed two or Eddie. Was his dad Slender Man? No, he wasn't Slender, he was big built man. Okay. They had three children. The oldest was Susan and then Edmund the Third, who they called Guy, because as a baby he'd had a sunsuit on it that had the words little guy on it, so it became his nickname. Oh, that's I just, so cute. See it is delightful. Yeah, I yes. thought you were going to say because it's just too hard with too many Edmonds in the house. Like, well, at first I thought that, yeah, and then that I eventually perfect. found this anecdote about the sunsuit and thought, oh, okay, because so, I was like, I don't know what that's all about. Did they call him little guy, and then as he grew up, they started calling him guy, and by the end of it, they called him big guy. They didn't call him big guy. They may have called him little guy until he grew up, but it was ironic because he was a massive baby, so right. he was never really never a, little a little guy. guy. Yeah, he weighed over 12 pounds at birth and Clarnell required an an episiotomy when she she gave birth to him. Yes, and Carla knows what that is and that's why she's got a, oh, nasty look on her face. I'm shaking my head because I don't know what one is, but I'm just thinking it sounds like an awful, what's that difference between that and a Caesar? Oh, that bit! From the China to the anus. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't re- wasn't really paying attention. What was the one we were talking about at the top of the uterus? I, I was that's thinking that's where they got cut. That, yeah, that was uh, that was just Scott, to do that Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson. No, that, that was, was Clark yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And anyway, the youngest daughter was called. I'm going to say Alan. I think it is or Alin. It's A W L Y N. Who that thing for? Alan, 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 Dave, Dave, Alan. Pretty spelling. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a Lynn though. They were. They. I think maybe. I don't know where they came from. I think they may may have some German background. Had to be Dutch if they were tall. Shortly. Maybe I don't know. 
It's that simple so from, for me. From everything I've read about Edmund's early life, it wasn't good, and that is an understatement. His father had served in World War II and had tested atomic bombs in the Pacific before becoming a civilian electrician, which wasn't a good enough job, according to Clarnell. Eddie, too, was quoted as saying that, and this is a really nice thing that you want your spouse to say about you, suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell and that she affected him more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. <laughs> oh! Jesus. So, yeah, she wasn't very pleasant. Not only was Clarnell unimpressed with Eddie 2's job, she also expressed a great deal of rage at his interactions with his children. She was furious that he wouldn't beat Eddie 3, and I bet she was probably just angry over that episiotomy, <laughs> and he was overprotective of him, as in the dad was, uh, whilst being too strict on the girls, which is interesting as apparently when Susan was 10 years old, she pushed the then four-year-old, Eddie 3, in front of a moving train. And on another occasion, she pushed him in the deep end of the pool knowing he couldn't swim and he nearly drowned. Hang on. If she pushed him in front of a moving train. He didn't die. I don't know how. Did he get know. hit by it? I don't know. I assume not. I'm going to say Maybe no. because he was four, he just went under it. He went under it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's reasonable to think that maybe Ed, too, had good reason to want to protect his son and crack down on his little princesses. However, Eddie, three, displayed total red flag behaviours from a young age, possibly as a result to the, of, of the abuse that he was receiving. When his sister broke his toy gun, he decapitated her doll, and I think we covered this in an early episode mm, no. last week, about my sister hanging Barbies from a lemon tree. Although I don't know that Barbies is necessarily as serious because, you know, you could just pull their heads off. Well, that's what he did. He popped the head yeah. off and he kind of enjoyed it. But I'm also sure, pretty sure that Hub did pull their heads off as well and cut their hair. Which yeah, was annoying right. because the hair doesn't grow back. Yeah, right? yeah, no, so that's not because you can't just you pop can the head, the back, head back, on. back on. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, he and his sisters played really fun childhood games like gas chamber and electric chair. Hmm. And oh, it, what a hey! Oh, they were. And at one point, whilst cleaning a gun when he was young, he shot the wall behind his sister Ellen, and his only response was to go back to cleaning it calmly, saying, "Oh, that was an accident. Like you know, nothing." In 1957, Eddie, too, the dad, had decided enough was enough as Clarnell had become addicted to alcohol and was constantly emasculating and abusing him, so he left. With his father out of the picture, an already abusive Clarnell turned all her fury and hate on Eddie, three. Apart from saying awful things, not allowing him to do anything and treating him appallingly, she also locked Ed in a rat-infested pitch-black basement that could only be accessed by pulling the heavy kitchen table away from the trap door every night for eight months. <gasps> this was because she decided that she feared that Edmund would hurt or rape his sisters at age 10. Oh, hang on, chicken and egg, was he that bad? I don't know, nature-nurture. Oh, yeah, like was, and- she, was she legitimate? Yeah, was that real? Oh, my God. Oh, messed up. And, look, there's nothing much on whether her fears of in, uh, of incest were founded, but I did read one account that people thought was a bit dodgy that said that Eddie 3's sister Susan had lured him into her bed when he was eight and she was 14. But Ed 3, who's a real chatty Cathy and still alive, which I'll get on to later, has never said anything to support this. And he likes to talk, so I'm sure he would have said something. So that's true. not him, though, jumping on his sister. That's his sister luring yeah, that's him right. in, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yes. So it's probably it's... unlikely then that there was that real threat. 
I think it's probably unlikely, and yeah. I think I think she just hated her son and wanted yeah. to punish him, and and because she she saw he was very physically like his father, and she hated her husband, uh, uh, you know. So mm. I think there was a lot of kind of taking it out on the poor boy. Oh, what a love! And she also mocked his large size. He was already much taller than other kids, like much taller. He was six foot six by his mid teens. Whoa! Wow! He was huge. You you know you said before about eight foot. Well, yeah. he's pretty big guy. How good is it that, you know, height's obviously determined by genes and she's mocking him for his height? For being huge. And she's six foot tall herself oh, anyway. She's yeah. a mole. Mm. <laughs> she bagged him out to his father who he adored, saying he was a real weirdo and held the position that should she show him any affection, she'd turn him gay. Because that's how it works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, that's what happens to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mummy's boys. Yeah. And as he was just like his father, as I said, no woman would ever love him. Now, not to say that I experienced anything like that, but I do remember my mum making me a dress and fitting it on me and saying, God, you're huge. And I can say it did deeply affect me. Years later, she said she meant tall, but I know that she meant fat. Was that that the one time your mum said something nasty to you? No, um, but no, there was many times. And, yes, I didn't turn into a serial killer, but also she didn't lock me in a basement for eight months. True. And she wasn't physically. She didn't finish the job. No, that's right. But anyway, just let it be a lesson to us all about how impressionable our kids are. Carla, yeah. several holidays are coming up, <laughs> just in case you were considering locking the kids in the basement. Oh, if we had one, yes, I know. Anyway. When Eddie, too, discovered that Clarnell had been locking Eddie 3 in the basement, he threatened to call the authorities on her. There's no record that he did. But didn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, there's no record that he did. Why would you even threaten it? Why wouldn't you just do it? Yeah. At this time, Eddie 3 was about 10 years old and after a few years of gateway behaviour pulling the wings off bugs, he buried the family cat alive and after it had died, dug it up, decapitated it and put its head on a stake. Oh. What? Oh, yuck. Yeah. At age 13, the fam- the next family cat, and one must ask oneself why, <laughs> why? you had another cat after yeah. this, yeah, minding its own business having a nap, was seized by Eddie who sliced the top of its head off. Oh, I don't think you need to cope with this. Yep. This is one of the worst bits. As it convulsed, he then stabbed it to death to ensure it didn't suffer and buried bits of it in the garden but kept other parts in his closet until his mother found them. So he chopped and it up as well. Maybe she had a point when she called him a real yeah. weirdo. <laughs> oh, yeah, and no, I'm, I'm willing to go he's a real weirdo. Uh, that's all right. Swanee, Swanee's now put a I'm headset back. back on. She had to I do a bit of self-editing self, uh, yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. So did he yeah. chop it up too? Oh, <laughs> yes. After it Sorry, died. Sorry, Swanee, I should have warned you. <laughs> After it died, he mutilated its corpse and he kept bits of it in his closet for no apparent reason. Oh, oh just for the smell, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. Blech. In 1961, Eddie Two and Clarnell officially divorced and Eddie Two remarried an incredibly beautiful German immigrant named Elfriede, I think you'd say. Mm-hmm. Elfried, Elfriede. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Eddie III wanted to live with them in LA, but Elfriede thought he was a he was totally whack and complained about the way he looked at her and his hulking figure. That's so fair he, too. He was sent back to his lovely mother, Clarnell. She was she was weirded out by him. She also had a son of her own. Yeah. And kind of what plays into the story is the father was quite happy to pay for this stepson and dote on the stepson and, you know, neglected Edward, Ed basically. Yeah. 
But not one to be put off, he ran away back to LA to live with his father. But alas, Elfredi was having none of it, and so his father took him to visit Eddie One. The other one, oh, the first of the dynasty. I know, I told you, Carla. New character. And Granny Maud. Eddie One and Granny Maud in a remote farm in California. Hey, thank you for using numbers because I would have got very confused by now, but it all just kind of makes sense. <laughs> one, well done. two and three. Yep, yep. Mm. Uh, at the conclusion of that visit, Eddie Three was told he was to stay with his grandparents, as in live with, which must have been a real rejection for him, to be honest, because Eddie Two, who he adored, and it was now being daddy to Elfredi's child, Gilbert, just said, can't afford you, you have to stay there. Oh. At Eddie 1 and Maud's house, Ed 3 found that he liked his grandfather. He was all right. But he hated his grandmother. Maud was another strong woman who, according to Eddie 3 himself, spent her time berating him, not letting him have any friends or fun. Eddie 1, the granddad, tried to help the young Ed. He was about 15 at this time teaching him to hunt and fish and rewarding him for the animals he killed, as this was considered oh, manly Jesus. pursuits. Read between yeah. the lines, mate. Yes, unfortunately teaching Eddie Three how to shoot and giving him access to firearms was probably not the best idea. <clears throat> no wonder he loved him, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. He loved Eddie... his father first and foremost. And he, and Eddie he really One, wanted... I want to kill something. Oh, well, come on then, Eddie Three. Go kill a gopher and I'll give you some yeah, money yeah. for it. Stomp its head real good. His grandmother... Noticing the looks of hatred Eddie Three gave her on occasion, by his account she was pretty nasty to him, so who knows, would even take firearms out of the house so he wouldn't touch them and he had his and had his grandfather lock them up to keep them safe. One morning in August in 1964, when Eddie One had gone into town to run some errands and Granny Maud was sitting at the kitchen table working on a story for Boys magazine, which I think was ironic, mm. Eddie was helping her. When Maud told him off for staring at her, he took a gun, called his dog and went to leave. She told him not to kill any birds, but he must have misheard her because he then turned around and shot her in the head and <gasps> twice in the back, killing her. No. Hmm. He then wrapped a towel around her head and dragged her body into the bedroom. Uh-oh. Jesus. No, so he just thought about it. That just it. kind of justifies all of her fear and, and behaviour up to that point, doesn't it? Or she escalated it, one or the other. So well, I, th- I know what you're saying, but also had he found a caring and stable household. thing that's really interesting is apparently the grandparents had actually been telling people that he was settling in well. And this is all his account, of course, did, because did, Maud's yeah. not alive. So did we Maud don't really know. mistreat him? I haven't heard anything about her mistreating According him. According to him a bit. You know, she was nasty to him. She picked on him. She oh, wouldn't let him do anything. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't yeah. allowed to leave the farm. And she was that's really funny fun. about him. I'm not going to um, go with his with guns. view on that. Yeah, well, that's why I'm pointing it out. Yeah. When his grandfather returned, Eddie Three didn't want him to be distressed that his wife of many years was dead. So he walked up to Eddie One, who said hello, and turned back to the car, and Eddie Three shot him dead. There you go. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, because he hasn't mistreated me and he has been good to me, but he's still got to go. Oh, but I don't want him to seem sad about Nana. Yeah, I don't want him to. I'd rather he be dead. That's right, yeah. He then dragged his body into the shed and cleaned up the scene a bit. Now, what do you think he did next? Uh, Went shopping. No, No, just hung out. Nothing. Had a beer. And I had an Uncle Doug. No. Don't know then, I'm out. He called his mummy, of course. (gasps) What? he rang his mum and he said, I've just killed the grandparents. Oh, he fessed up. Mm. Yeah, he rang his mum and oh. said, I've just killed the grandparents. What do you? What should I do? And she said, call the police and wait for them, tell them what you've done and wait for them to show up. 
She didn't even call the police herself. And you're she told say him that? to call the yeah. police. And of course he didn't. No, he did. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did. So the police showed up, you know, found the scene, and at first he said it was an accident, but in very little time he admitted to the police that he just wanted to see what it would feel like to shoot grandma. Yeah, I accidentally shot her in the head and twice in the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm, that's, no, not, that, just, that's not going to fly. I just wanted to see what it would feel like to shoot grandma. Uh-oh. Said no one ever. That's right. And that is the story of Edmund Kemper III. <laughs> no, uh-huh. I'm just kidding. I feel like that's that's the story of Edmund Kemper the first. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit, yeah. So yeah. I take it that he quite liked the feeling from where we're about to go. Uh, yeah, just I buckle think your seatbelt in, Dull. I think it's fair to say that he had some uh, urges and possibly his killing of Grandma was, you know, that apparently he contemplated having sex with her body after he killed her. With his Grandma's body? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't do it, but he did think about it. So I think we were, we're we, you know, there's a kind of thought process that's playing. Well, out. he did think about what it would be like to kill his grandma, and he followed through on that. So yeah, I think in that moment, it just he just sort of snapped a bit, kind of thing. It was it wasn't the Bernie moment, but it was just like right, that's it. I've, and he'd been thinking about killing her for weeks. It was it wasn't sorry, it wasn't a spur of the moment thing. It had been right. it had been building up in but him. But he hadn't been he thinking of sleeping with her dead body for weeks, so he decided. No, I not don't to. know about that bit. Yes, yeah, no, right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to pretty much just call him Eddie now because I think Eddie one and Eddie yeah. two are mostly out of the picture. Okay, Ed or Eddie? Eddie spent the next six years at the Atascadero State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile. While there, the well, exceptionally well diagnosed, bright, I feel like. Well, interesting because I, I don't really go on about it, but they diagnosed him multiple times and I think in the first instance they said he had schizophrenia and then they said no, he didn't. So it's quite interesting. But remember, it's 60, 1964. Mm. So, you know, psychiatry and psychology haven't really advanced as much as they have now. So anyway, while he was there, the exceptionally bright with an IQ of 145, Eddie postulated that if you refrain from telling the psychologist what you really think, that you might get out one day. In fact, he later described fantasies he had while at Atascadero. He said his final fantasy was, I killed someone, cut them up and ate them, and I kept the head on a shelf and talked to it. I said the same things I would have said had she been alive, in love with me, had she been caring of me. Interesting, he said I killed someone, but actually then he's describing a woman. Yeah. It's it's a woman yeah. every yeah, time. Yeah, right. Yeah. But did you say that that was a fantasy, not a... It's a fantasy. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the whole time, right, so he's got five years, I think, or six years that he's in this psychiatric home and he's thinking the whole time and having these fantasies about <laughs> killing women, cutting their heads off and talking to them like they but love him. But not telling the psychiatrist. Oh, like, no, because yeah, he's yeah. so smart. Like he's smart enough to know that if I tell them that, they won't let me out. Correct, right? Mm. Asked if he ever told to that point uh, anyone at a Tascadero about the fantasies, Kemper replied, no, I'd never get out if they told the psychiatrist I was having fantasies oh. of sex with dead bodies and in some cases eating them. I'm not an I idiot. I would have never got out, ever. Oh, but also they're not, not concerned about the condition he might have just concerned about his freedom so he can go and do it more like you know it's not like he's sitting there going god i'm traumatized by what i do and i need help he's going "Ah, fine let me out i can go and have some fun out there i don't yeah at this point in time i don't see any evidence that there's any remorse remorse. happening here yeah yeah not even any concern that he might do it again just game on get me out of here but he was quite right i'm a serial killer get me out of here (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) i like it 
<laughs> is that our new TV show? Yeah. <laughs> what we no. I was well, didn't I have to get in touch with uh, Simon Cal about something from another episode recently. I have to go back to him again. Yeah. Oh no, it was Factor X. It was the fact, but, Factor X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe it's not. I know that he doesn't look after. I must let him get me out of here. But you know what I mean. Who I do. Yes. You need to find ITV. the right producer. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Anyway, Eddie was quite right uh, about you know if I tell them they won't let me out. Eddie so was didn't. not quite right by the sounds of it. <laughs> totally NQR. <Yeah. laughs> but he was a model patient. Ugh. Heard that before? Was he in the junior league? Did he find God? <laughs> oh, hang on, Swanee, you're going to love it. No, he wasn't really religious, but you're going to love this next bit. Mm. So good, in fact, that they trained him how to do psychiatric tests on other inmates, which of course gave what? him an understanding of what they were looking for to determine whether a person was dangerous or sane. Oh, for God's sake! That was that was well advised. Yep, and <laughs> he also became a member of the JCs. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, now I'm not saying two serial killers who are in the JCs makes a pattern, but it is interesting. It is very interesting. While in a Tascadero. I wonder if uh, they have, like, um, alumni. (laughs) 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 They've got, like, a little subsection for (laughs) serial killers. Oh, God. (laughs) Notable alum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... He claimed while he was in a Tascadero to have developed some new tests and some new scales on the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory, specifically an overt hostility scale during his work with the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist saw him as a poster boy of rehabilitation Jeez. and he was released into what? the care of, oh he was released into the care of his loving mother in nineteen sixty nine. So how was he at this point, Schmidt? 69. 21. 21. Isn't, this is the second story where someone was the poster boy of rehabilitation. Remember um, mm. old mate from old mate. Hotel Cecil who was from Austria? Yes, 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 oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. From the cafe yeah. settlement yeah, wow. in Vienna. What did I call it? Yeah, literary yeah, that's right. something. Okay, Literary Monster or something, I can't remember. Yes, that one. Oh, yeah, Literary Monster came out today. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I thought, oh, I wonder what that one's about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Sorry, back to the story. Yeah, no. So, look, he appeared to be perfectly fine and in nineteen in November 1972 was considered totally rehabilitated by his psychiatrist who supported having his juvenile records permanently expunged. Come on. The last report from his probation psychiatrist read, If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction of his juvenile records. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps they might not have said that had they known that whilst testing sex offenders back in a Tuscadero, which always makes me think of, is it Pinky Pinky Tuscadero? Tuscadero. And yeah, 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 yeah. Leather Tuscadero, I think, was yeah. in Fonzie. Oh, yeah, well, Pinky oh, was. Right. Pinky was his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, no. Anyway, yeah, yeah, sorry. So while he was in Pinky Tascadero Hospital, he'd learned a lot. For example, they told him that to avoid leaving witnesses, it was best to kill a woman after raping her. And here's the best bit. Or that at the time of his first interview with the psychiatrist who was signing him off as sane, he had the head of one of his victims in his car. 
but I'll come to that in a moment. Like a basketball? Yeah. Or was it in the car? Like it was in the boot rolling around? Like a head. Yeah, no, but like if you chucked. Bag. I think he likes to keep things in the bag. It wasn't like it didn't have the seatbelt holding it in <laughs> no, no, to the passenger didn't. seat. No. <laughs> God, no. Too far? <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> so. So while living with his mother, Eddie went to community college, which he had he had to for his parole requirements, and he intended to become a police officer. Cool, 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 cool. He was going to become a police officer. Absolutely. So he could investigate his own crimes. No, he just really loved it. He was big on policing and stuff. When he talks about this period of his life, did he think he was sort of going to go on the straight and narrow or did he think that he was going to be doing stuff and not get caught or is it not really sort of any sort of insight into where his head was at? Like, I mean, did he think it was going to be a life of crime or not? I th- No, I don't think he was thinking a life of crime. He commits a series of crimes which he didn't intend to get caught for. Okay. But later he sort of talks about how... As it escalates and escalates, he knows it's all too. It's I mean, too, it's gone too far. One might say killing your grandparents has gone too far already, <laughs> but he he kind of gets to a point where he's like, "This is really going too far," which is much further than most of us would go. But anyway, only because he's he was an absolute giant. That. Yeah, that's right. Because he was an absolute giant, and here we go, at six foot nine inches tall, he was too big Jeez. to be a policeman, and he got rejected. Oh, right. Why is that? Because they used to have height restrictions. They didn't have the uniforms car. that fitted. No, oh, I think it's sitting height. in the car. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. However, he became mates with some of the local Santa Cruz police officers and would hang out with them at a bar called The Jury Room. Sounds like our kind of place. <laughs> and he called himself a friendly nuisance. He did a few menial jobs, but then he hit the jackpot working for the State of California Division of Highways. At the same time, he and his mother fought constantly, having screaming matches that the neighbours often heard. They fought over everything. So he was back living with his mother at this point because after the She's parole, mad he to push him, jeepers. From everything I can gather, he was kind of really massively browbeaten by her. Yeah. So he might have shouted back at her, but he was scared of his mother and he seemed to hate her but want her affection, want her approval. Yes. It was a really sick codependent kind of relationship. And did he take his anger and frustration out on everyone else then? Is that the? Mm. Yes, pretty much, yep. Nicely summed up. (laughs) Okay, so in his own words, my mother and I started riding on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fists with a man, but this was my mother and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should should have my teeth cleaned. Well, it sounds like my house, if I'm perfectly honest. There's plenty of water phrases around here. I'm starting to feel triggered by this, but for all the wrong reasons, I'm starting to feel All you have to do is brush your teeth, mate. Hey, I did so- ask you three or four times before I left the house, and I said I'd be back in an hour, and you had to have that and have a shower and have your bed made. That's all I asked, and I've turned up, and you're still in your pyjamas, and you haven't brushed your teeth, and the bed's not made. So anyway, Carla, I digress. <laughs> ju- ju- just between us, we won't yes, tell so. anyone else, Yes. if one of your kids did end up being a serial killer as a result of your parenting, which one yes. would it be? That's a good question. It could be any of them because they've all had, they've all had, the, same ter- to they've all had the same terrible parenting from me. So it's, it's, it could be any of them. Any of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Wouldn't be able to pick one. No, they've all been... <laughs> They've all experienced mother of the year. Young men, said the psychiatrist. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, model citizens. 
Yeah. Eventually he saved up enough money to move out with a friend in Almeida, but his mother constantly called him and showed up unannounced. <sighs> For two she people who hated herself. each other. Yeah. That's right. They really couldn't stay away from one another. On and off he'd run out of money and move back with mum. Then one day he met a nice young girl and started dating her. It was in that year that he was hit by a car whilst riding a motorbike and received a $15,000 compensation, which in today's money is about 92000 bucks. Oh, what did he do, he break a nail or something? That's not a lot. No, he broke his arm really badly. His arm was, I don't know, crushed, but quite badly damaged. And it was the car driver's fault, not, not his fault. Did he try so to he sue for civil- loss of future killings because he wouldn't be able to hold a knife? <laughs> Uh, no, that did, as it turns out, that isn't a problem that he ended up having. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good to hear. So <laughs> Also not good to hear. <laughs> he upgraded. So because he had that money, he upgraded to a 1969 Ford Galaxy. And this was a useful car for picking up hitchhikers, which he did a lot of, saying he picked up at least a 1,000. Well, actually, oh. I've read 150 to a 1,000, but that's, without incident. That's he just a lot of variance, isn't up. it? I think so too, yes. But he also found the car useful for storing supplies such as plastic bags, knives, blankets and handcuffs. You know, the usual items you find in a boot. Yeah. As opposed to like full of old Coles bags and Willie's bags and things that you can put the groceries in. Yeah, yeah. socks and stuff that's fallen out of your bag and you can't be bothered taking it out again. Some The odd tool, I've got. Oh, there are no tools in my car. Well, because I take it up to Ilden, so I feel like like Schmitty, you'd have the odd dead tool in your boot. Absolutely. Well, I was trying to describe what it is. It's it's not a dead tool. No, it's not even that. It's a A drill. It is a saw. Oh, I just meant some bloke who was a tool that. You had to I know what you meant. I booth. knew what you meant. Yes, yes, I knew what you meant. Make no, soap out of him or something. You know, a multi-tool. It's I've got a packet of multi-tool blades in the car that I've yet blades. to be able to take oh, out of the car. Exactly. No, no. If you know what a multi-tool is, Carla, well, you're not going to go around killing someone with a multi-tool. I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong. I know what a multi-tool you're right. is. Yeah. I meant What's someone the other little vibrating thing yeah. that like Ooh. cuts at strange yeah. angles. Is that what that stuff? noise was when we caught up last time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I met someone the other day who said they carry a pocket knife with them all the time. I'm like, uh, what do you even usually. do with it? And he goes, oh, I use it most days. Like, yeah, but well, actually, what would you do with it? I do carry a knife. Oh God! Right. Yeah, well, we're surprised. No, I haven't got, a hand, I haven't got my handbag, but I, it's a it's a multi tool set. So you know, it's like a Swiss Army knife. Like a vibrator? No, that doesn't fit in my bag. It's so big. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I just keeps in a duffel bag. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what's really in the boot. It's, it's own bag, like a blow up mattress or something like that. It's got its own absolutely. bag. Absolutely, yes. No, no, no. It's just one of those. Like, I've had I've forgotten all about it until you mentioned it. I think I bought it from Super Cheap or something, and it's like a key ring thing, but it's useful. It's got like a little tiny Phillips head screwdriver and stuff on yeah. it. How often do you use it? Oh, rarely, but then every yeah. now and then when I need That's to, I'm the like, right hey, answer. I've got that, I've got that in yeah. there. It's like me anyway. having a bottle opener on my key ring. I yeah, mean, really use it, too. but it's nice to have it there when you need it. You'd be amazed at how often I've used that, though. I I put it on there thinking it was a, it was a piece of merchandise and I put it on there thinking, what a waste of money. Where did you put it on, though, sorry? On my key ring. All right. And it's, you know, like one that pushes yeah. God, you. must look. You must walk around like you own a workshop or something. No, what, everything jangling yeah. and nuts. No <laughs> wonder right. you dig yeah. your hip. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I've already got it. It's like, oh my god, that woman must be a shop owner. Do you yeah, know? Yeah, like yeah. she's locking yes. something up. It's like an old style, you know, or a prison guard. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's got a big loop on it, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she puts it on her hip, and that's what's damaged her <laughs> hip over all these years. She must be important. She's got lots of things to lock and unlock. So, and does it jangle a lot, like jewelry? Like you know, oh, nice. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> The biggest, I know, and now I've got new house keys. I'm actually going to have to cull some of these that's off. That's huge. There you go. That's the bottle. Yeah, I'm a fan and of them. And then I've got. How big is your handbag? You carry that. Oh my God, sweetie. It's huge. It's like I'm a jailer, isn't it? It's, it's like, like you're going to the floor. He's like, oh, can you hear me? Here I come. Oh. I'm important. It's so heavy. It's so I heavy. don't doubt it. I could not That's go. good, though, because when you drop them, you hear it. So you know that you've dropped them. Anyway, enough about my keys and what's in my handbags um, or handbag. I'm not sure it is enough, but let's keep going. <laughs> As I said, he's driving around, he's picking up hitchhikers, all, all without any great, you know, incident, until his little zapples then started. What? That's his own name for his homicidal sexual urges. Oh. My little zapples. 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 How does, odd is that expression? It doesn't sound menacing enough for homicidal exactly. sexual urges. Absolutely. It's so it sounds so benign. That's but what he's actually talking about it. thinking about brutally. Oh, don't mind me, women. I'm just having a little zapple. Zapple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covered oh. in I'm covered in blood and semen. I'm yeah. just oh. having a little zapple. <laughs> oh god. It's like a little baby erection or something to get a little <laughs> Don't mind me. Oh okay. zapple. It's like a bit zappy. I'm just going to have to go and lie down for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) I've come over all zapple. And that's all so funny until I get onto this next section. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I am really going to quote Wikipedia almost word for word at this point on the murders in particular Yeah. because I decided that that pragmatic and factual tone of the way they put it is the most fitting to describe this and it was easier for me you know like Carla sometimes we talk about oh you know Wikipedia is a bit dry and you've got to have color yep. you don't need any more color okay. in this right yeah so on May the 7th 1972 Ed was driving in Berkeley when he picked up the a two 18 year old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University Marianne Pesce and Anita Marie Lucessa sorry Anita Mary Lucessa with the pretense of taking them to Stanford University after driving for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, with which he was familiar from his work at the highway department, without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go. It was there that he handcuffed Pesci and locked Lucessa in the trunk, then stabbed and strangled, strangled Pesci to death, subsequently then killing Lucessa in a similar manner. Ed later confessed that while handcuffing Pesci, he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him adding that he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after grazing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. What I oh, did mean to do. Mm. Can you imagine being Lucessa in the boot, hearing your friend being murdered? No. Yeah. Just don't nightmare. get that shit. Yeah. Ed put both of the woman, women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer oh. for having a broken tail light. But the oh. officer didn't detect the corpses in the car. Well, he wouldn't, you know. Yeah. Although I would have thought if he stabbed them or It'd whatever, be blood he was blood somewhere, pro- wouldn't they? Yeah, but he was. I think he was preparing, so it's quite possible he changed whatever. Anyway, his his roommate wasn't home at the time, so he took the bodies into his apartment, where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with the naked corpses before dismembering them. 
He then. What are you the doing in there? Oh, nothing. Yeah. I'm having. I'm, zap, I'm zappling. What kind of? Oh, you come, okay, to watch Happy Days. Uh, yeah, I won't be moment. <laughs> oh God. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain. Wouldn't you um, get to smell that, or would you not? Uh, yeah, probably. When you say abandoned, is it better to say dumped? Feel like you can. I'm just quoting Wikipedia. I know, right I know. I just feel like abandoned sounds less <laughs> deliberate and premeditated yeah. and homicidal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Before disposing of Pesci and Lucessa's severed heads in a ravine. Ed engaged in Iromatio uh, with both of them. I don't even know what that is and I don't want to know. Please don't I could tell guess. us. Yeah, I know, right? Am I he gonna... did it with most of his victims. Oh, yeah. really? Was it, did you say it has a Japanese name? Is that what No? No, it's actually Latin. Iromatio. Oh. It's it's basically oral rape. It's, it's described because I looked it up. It's described as raping someone orally to create or force them to have a gag reflex or vomit. But, of course, these women are dead and these are de- decapitated heads. But effectively he raped their mouths yeah, or ne- and throats. On the evening of September 14, 1972, Ed picked up a 15-year-old dance student named Aiko Ku who had decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. He again drove to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Ku before accidentally locking himself out of his car. Somehow he managed to convince poor little Ku to let him back inside, despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her and kill her. And I think this is one that doesn't talk about it here, but he made a comment about, I think it's about Aiko, that I think he stabbed her or something and he talked about her leaking the blood leaking or something like that. So he had these, and you know earlier about I actually feel the, quite ill during this story. I mean, I just wanted you to know that. I told you it's a bad one, right? Yeah. I felt ill through some of yours. Yeah, well, you, you know, know, it's about me fair, now. Fair. <laughs> All right. So he subsequently packed her body into the trunk of his car, went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks. Then he returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fisherman. Back at his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, then dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner as his previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she didn't receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status. On January the 7th, 1973, Ed, who had moved back in with his mother at this point, was driving around Calibro College campus when he picked up 18-year-old student Cynthia Ann or Cindy Charles. He drove to a wooded area and fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house where he kept her body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse with and removed. Oh, and actually, that, actually, Wikipedia is wrong. It's not sexual intercourse. It's rape. He raped this woman uh, and removed the bullet from her corpse, then dismembered and de- decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. <laughs> God. Do these people yeah. have a cleaning lady? Honestly, <laughs> no, I don't, the, the mess that this boots. is generating, I don't understand how you. I've got spaghetti bolognese, it's a fucking. <laughs> 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 I'm talking about that. I don't think that's just can imagine the mess he's making oh. in the car oh, and the bed. He must be very. I also wonder about it clean. I just don't know how. Oh, I know that, that boot must break. 
What about the bed on which, or I presume it's a oh. bed where he's raping the corpse? Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a trail of so she was leaking in the car and all that. Yeah. Oh, there's all these filth. things. There's all of this stuff that you know. It's it's messy business. It's not before you get to dismembering or something else. When you've murdered someone that way, there are things that happen to their bodies or have happened to their bodies through what you've done. There's trails of things you you know fluid and. Ugh. I feel like like if you're a unicorn and you jump around and fly around and leave glitter everywhere, yeah. that's what zappling should be, not when you're a homicidal, what was it, sexual urges, yeah. when you're having homicidal zappling. Yeah. and Yeah, and leaving fluids everywhere. And, yeah, uh, you know what I mean? That's it's, not zapple, that's just... It's terribly messy what? business before you get to sort of chopping someone up even, if you're oh. dragging bodies around and stuff like that. I can't... Oh. Honestly, this. I feel ill. I know. So Ed kept Charles' severed head for several days, regularly engaging in uramashio, sorry, Ugh. uramashio with it, then buried it in his mother's garden facing upward toward her bedroom. He later said that he did this because his mother always wanted people to look up to him. He just discarded the rest of Charles' remains by throwing them off a cliff. Over the course of the following few weeks, all except Charles' head and right hand were discovered and pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle. A pathologist determined that Charles had been cut up into pieces with a power saw, but I bet it wasn't a multi-tool. No. On I hope February it wasn't Fox, a multi-tool. <laughs> yeah, at the time of these crimes, do we have a sense of, you know, is there, are people aware of it? Is there a panic? Do they know, or is it just sort of going under the radar kind of thing? Uh, yeah, no, it does, it does heat up in okay. that there's clearly a pattern that these are all college girls, co-eds. He's actually referred to as the co-ed killer later. Okay. And so, yes, what happens is that the colleges and police and that uh, urge girls not to get into cars with anyone who doesn't have a college sticker on their car. Uh-huh. On February 5, 1973, after a heated argument with his mother, Ed left his house in search of, a pos- of possible victims. With heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area, students had been advised to accept rides only from cars with university stickers on them. Ed was able to obtain a sticker <laughs> as his mother worked at UCSC. She was an administration assistant, I think. Mm-hmm. He encountered 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen Al- Allison Lou. Can, hey, can I just the- ask? Sorry, why? What was his reason for wanting a sticker to, that it made his mum give him one? I have no idea. Okay, maybe he said, "I can drive you to work," and you know, use the sticker to get in or something. Mum, the screws are clamping down on me. <laughs> I won't be able to go and pick up coeds. Yeah, if you don't, don't give me one, I won't get caught. I mean, I'll yeah. get caught. So he picked up Rosalind and Alice on the UCSC campus. According to Ed, Thorpe entered his car first, reassuring Lou to also enter. Oh, bad he reassurance. Fatally, yeah. He first fatally shot Thorpe and then Lou with his pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. He again brought his victims back to his mother's house. This time he beheaded them in his car in the street. What? I think in the driveway, yeah. And then he carried the headless corpses into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse, okay, rape with them. He then dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets to prevent identification and discarded their remains the next morning. When questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at, the brain, eyes, mouth, 
That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. Oh, My next note was, I'm just checking in here. Are you okay? No, absolutely not. Okay. Well, I was going to say, do we need a moment, but we just had one. What? So, um, yeah. so bad luck, I don't care. <laughs> what body count are we at, Schmitty? Six girls at this point in time. And and his grand And his grandparents. Schmitty, is that how you are on Are You Okay Day? Just want to check in to make sure you're all okay. <laughs> oh, you're not? Oh, well, you've already had a break, so we're just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me. Sorry, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just checking I'm right. It's, it is six women at this point in time. And, and this is after, of course, he's killed his grandparents. So it's eight. Eight, yes. But he's not quite done yet. On the 20th of April, 1973, after coming home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell awakened her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Ed enter her room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Ed replied, no, good night. He then went off to his own bed where he lay there waiting for her to fall asleep. Then he went back into her room and bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a pen knife. Speaking of... Swiss Army knife. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. pocket what knife. Pocket knife, yeah, same difference, I guess. He then decapitated her and oh, he engaged didn't. in with her severed head. Oh. And then, unlike the other victims, he used it as a dartboard. Ed stated that he put her oh, head... You use it as a dartboard? Are you going to tell me? Yes, he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour and threw darts at it and ultimately smashed her face in. And this is really gross. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. Speaking of bolognese. That seemed appropriate as much as she's bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years, Ed later said. Yeah. Mm. Ed hid his mother's corpse in a closet, he liked doing that by the look of it, and went to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend and possibly her lover, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, who they called Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. Ed prepared for Miss Hallett's murder by distributing weapons around the apartment, but in the end, none of them would be necessary. Soon after the phone call, Miss Hallett arrived. I came up behind her and cooked my arm around her neck like this, Kemper said, bending his powerful arm in front of himself at chin level. I squeezed and just lifted her off the floor. She just hung there and for a moment I didn't realise she was dead. I'd broken her neck and her head was just wobbling around with the bones of her neck disconnected in the skin sack of her neck. Oh, my God. The skin sack of her neck. It's very hot in here. I'm starting to feel a bit queasy. Uh, All right. I'm done on the murdering. Oh, good. We're good for that? Thank God. I just got to try to let this vomit. Oh, it's just the way he said. And that's his words, Schmitty. That's his words. Awful, isn't it? Oh, oh. Later that night, Ed attempted to have intercourse with Miss Hallett's body, but I don't think he did. Initially, he said the murder was to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on a vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's Hallett's corpse in a closet, obscured any outward signs of of a disturbance and left a note to the police. This is hard to read this one just because it's weird, right? It read, approximately 5.15am Saturday. No need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. I think he's talking about his mother in that one. Anyway, 
So having done that, he went on the lamb. Only no one was actually after him. Not, <laughs> I was going to say boat. anyone, no. No. So he drove around a 1,000 miles and he had three guns and, you know, loads and loads of rounds of ammo, believing that he was being chased, but no one had noticed anything. I guess it was a bit of a letdown. So when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. Where was that, in Mexico or somewhere? Pueblo, it sounds like it. Yeah, because he's in California. Yeah. So it's, I don't, I'm not really sure. Well, it's a thousand. About a thousand miles. So yeah, it probably is. Did he walk 1,000 miles? No, he drove it. He's not a proclaimer. Um, just to be he, the man who walked a thousand miles to, to cut your head to off. To da, da, perform Iramatio. So he confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallett, but his buddies didn't believe Big Ed because that's what they used to call him. And they said, oh, yeah, whatever, call back later. So he waited a few hours, fully expecting the police to show up, and I think he was wanting like a showdown. You know, I think he thought they're going to kill me. Death by cop or something. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So he called again and he had to ask for someone he knew personally. How many times do I have to tell you I'm killing people? (laughs) Exactly. He then confessed to killing Clarnell and Sally and again waited for the police to arrive to arrest him. When they finally did, he confessed to killing the other students. How anticlimactic do you reckon that was for him? Mm. Once it was arrested, it became apparent that he'd killed eight people. So that's not including Not including his grandparents. Grandparents, that's right. And that nice fiance of his, you know, that nice girl I was talking about very early on, she split and who could blame her, right? And I don't know her name because it was actually withdrawn from the press. It wasn't, no one actually said who she was. And she was lucky. I mean, she was dating him. So talk about a really lucky escape there. Now, I have a theory on, a theories on why he turned himself in. And I think, for me, I feel it's obvious. If every crime was about killing his mother, you know, over and over again, so these women that he was killing, he was really acting out in his rage against his mother. Once she was dead, kind of there was no more point to it. I believe that the reason he killed Sally was because she was really important to his mother. So it was like that extra kind of insult. Tired a lot. He doesn't say that later, but I, I think there was something in that. He himself, though, ever says the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose anymore. It was just a pure waste of time emotionally. I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. Oh, and I could imagine the of- cleaning. I do feel for the man. I yeah, do. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, yeah, at the I questioning himself at points going, is this really worth it? That's such a mess. Oh, that's the right. The folly I mean, of the whole damn thing. The folly of that's it all. That's right. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said, to hell with it and called it all off. What a guy. Of course, as I said, he did really like to talk about what he did and why and given he never shut up about it and he'd confessed to the killings, his defence tried to run an insanity plea. He even testified himself, saying something along mm. the lines of the beast took over and he wasn't responsible for himself. Yeah, because I spoke to all those people in the prison and they told me what they say. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. However, on the 8th of November in 1973, the six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Edmund Emil III sane and guilty on all counts. Does that seem he, uh, like a long time? It does. I mean, fi- I mean sure. you're probably sentencing someone to death, but five hours. I don't know. Maybe they had a really good lunch and they were just like, oh, just string it out lunch, so we can get that few really rosés. Yeah. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture, which I don't think you can they actually said get. No. What? Death by torture? What is that? 
Just well, by Eros Ratio. Eromatio, yeah. Why didn't someone just shove their cock down his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you might want to hang on to that for um, oh, yeah, so your funny. sentence. Yeah. Oh, how dare I How disgusting. What a terrible, terrible man. Yeah. With the moratorium placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years to life for each count with these terms to be served concurrently. Seven years sent- to life. To life, yeah. What, what's with the seven years bit? I don't know. And was sentenced to the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. Medical on, Facility. Clarkie. Yeah, remember we had another one, the Rochester Medical Facility, and that's a prison. So it's, yeah, it's right. a prison. I don't know why they call them that, but yeah. Maybe it's because, you know, when you move into a town and you, you don't really want to know that you live yeah, next to a prison, prison, they call it yep. the medical oh, facility. Sucker, oh, right. you bought the house next to the prison. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so he was locked up with other killers of the time, including Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. No but way. But he didn't think, yeah, yeah, he's, you know, infamy, mate. He's in the club. Yeah, he didn't think much of them. He didn't like them much. He really disliked Mullen, who he described as just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Oh, yeah, is I that know, right? No strategy. No, ta- yes. oh. unlike, yeah. unlike myself. Unlike him, who's got yeah. really good reason. Yeah, give me strength. Uh, however, I was amused by Ed becoming a bully, given he'd been bullied by kids and never fought back when he was a kid. Uh, so he manipulated and intimidated Mullen. Ed said, Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV, so I threw water on him to shut him up. Then when he was a good boy, I'd give him peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he he asked permission to sing. That's called behaviour modification treatment. (laughs) Which I think is funny and chilling at the same time. Also, pay peanuts, get monkeys. (laughs) So he's been incarcerated since his sentence, rejecting parole hearings, although he was denied one in 2017, probably because he said this next bit at that parole hearing. At his 2017 parole hearing, Ed gave an alternate explanation as to why he murdered Sally Hallett. He said it was revenge for ruining his mother's holiday. The two women were supposed to go to Europe together for four weeks, but Hallett backed out at the last minute. Clarnell went on the trip by herself. At some point during the hearing, Kemper referred to Hallett as his mother's lover. But when my mother got back, she tried sharing these vacation moments with Sally and Sally got very loud with her and rude and told her, I don't want to hear about that. I didn't even go on that vacation. Why are you bringing this up? So here I am at the house having heard this from my mother and she's frustrated and I said, I'd like to know. I'd like you to share with me. So she went and got all of her travel logs and the papers and stuff from the places she went and she started systematically sharing this stuff with me and then all of a sudden, She stops and she looks at me in this strange way and says, I'm not going to let you pity me. And she just walked away from the whole thing. And I said, hey, I wanted to hear this stuff. I had told myself that if my mother ever dies over this stuff that I did, as in I think killing, Hallett's going with her. That's one trip she's not going to (laughs) miss. She's not going to back off on that one. I swore an oath to it. I was angry at the time. I haven't sworn many oaths in my life and every one that I have sworn I have followed through with. Oh. So... Poor old Sally didn't go on a holiday. Clarnell was pissy about it, so she gets herself, scranked, uh, you know, her neck broken. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any other outcome that could come about from that situation. <laughs> That's right. His next parole hearing is actually in 2024, and I do wonder what he'll say at that one if it happens. Ed himself has said he's a danger to the public and that he'd probably kill again if he could. Whilst doing time, he's recorded a ton of audio books for the blind mastered the art of making ceramic mugs and giving interviews to people, including the FBI agents who inspired Mindhunter. Yes, I recall that. Yeah. 
A model prisoner, of course, he's been allowed to work on projects with female officers and schedule psychiatric appointments for other prisoners, although the prosecutor is clear that no matter what a good boy he is, he is not getting out. Sadly, Eddie had a stroke in 2015 and was declared medically disabled. That's a good punishment. Uh, He loves to talk and give interviews, and his interviews have contributed to the understanding of the mind of serial killers. FBI profiler John Douglas described Ed as among the brightest prison inmates he'd interviewed and capable of rare insight for a violent criminal. He further added that he personally liked Ed, referring to him as a friendly, open, sensitive and having a good sense of humour. Well, we know that. Remember, he buried one of his victims face up so she could look up to his mother. He's hilarious. Oh, no, what a hate. Unsurprisingly, over the course of the last 60 years, Ed has been diagnosed with a whole series of disorders. However, mm-hmm. the latest is antisocial, you think, narcissistic. <laughs> As and opposed to all those other ones. That's right, and schizotypal personality disorders. And if you don't believe that, I'm going to play you this excerpt from the 1991 interview he gave to French interviewer Stéphane Bourgogne, where he explains what a great guy he is that he didn't kill two more girls. Hang on, if we do believe it, do we not have to hear it? <laughs> I, I think it's worth hearing his tone of voice and the way he speaks. Right. Thanks. Now, just in case Thanks. I can't include I love this you. in the... You're welcome. Just in case I can't include it in the audio when we actually release this for copyright reasons, you can find this on YouTube on the Serial Killer Minds channel and it's called Serial Killer Ed Kemper about controlling his urges and saving his victims. Saving his victims. What a flog. Yep. What a flog indeed. He can save anyone, mate. Well, he does. He saves these two girls. No, he, he doesn't. He... <laughs> he just doesn't well, kill them. I don't think that's noble. Okay, you ready? <laughs> And toward the end, when I picked those two girls up, I said they were just like the first two, like Marianne Passion and Anita Luchessa, who'd haunted me all this time. And now two more, just like them, get in the car. We drive up 13, and we get to this figure eight uh, cloverleaf interchange where it hits 580. And they want to go under the freeway, back up on, and head out this way. And out that way, I happen to know just a couple of miles down the road is Palomares Drive, where I took Anita Luchessa and Marianne Tesh and killed them. Mills College is back this way, toward downtown. They don't think so. They want to go this way. I'm saying, gee, you don't want to go that way, and I can't tell them why. You do not want to go that way. Mills College is this way. Well, no, we, we go there, and we know where it's, we live there, and, and uh, we want to go... And as we're approaching this interchange, I'm saying, no, we need to go in the right lane, get up on the freeway and go downtown. You want to get in the left lane, go under, cross up, and that's going to be another step closer to you, Diane. Because even if I don't go all the way out to Palomares Road, up 580, if I stop where it starts to go out in the country and I get back on the freeway, that's where I used to work on the highways. That's one of the places where it's a cul-de-sac. You drive down there, it's a very quiet street, comes down up onto the freeway very sharply, and they're dead if these urges take over. And if I go that way, it's not encouraging me to stop. It's testing beyond where I want to test. We've already gone beyond that by them getting in the car because, geez, it's just like those first two. I was actually scared to death I was going to kill them. And I, by that point, I had killed all of the co-eds. It was two months after the last two. And I'm seeing if I can pull out of it, like, like drinking or something or smoking. And at the point where we're bickering, if they've started shrieking or banging on the windows, I'm busted. They're going to pull me over, someone's going to call a cop or something, and they're going to get me and probably bust me on these other cases on a fluke. 
and I'm trying to save their lives. I don't want them going that way because I know Mills College is this other way. They get scared shitless. And, oh my God, we shouldn't have gotten this guy's car and they're getting all puckered up and and, and I said, just bear with me, be patient. If I'm wrong, we'll have to get on the turnoff. We'll go right back around, we'll take you out your way. But I know it's the next turnoff or the one past it this way, downtown. Trust me, please. And they're sitting like this and they quit talking to me and they're looking straight ahead. And I'm saying, oh shit. Guns under the seat, it's all just, you know, whoa. Get up on the freeway, two turnoffs, Mills College. In fact, the next one said Mills College, next exit, you know. But they're not, not relaxing or nothing. I had refused to take them the way they wanted to go and pushed it the other way. That's what scared them. But they didn't know the irony of it was if I'd have gone along their way, I'd have probably said, yeah, yeah, well, I'll just follow on through and oops, we'll do it one more time. <laughs> That's How right. How do you oops human lives? Two young, I don't know those two young ladies. and I don't know where they are today. And I don't know that they remember that little incident. But when I drove them to Mills College, inside of Mills College, right to the building, to the dormitory, and they got out of that car and flew up those stairs, never even looked back, I'll bet they quit hitchhiking quite so casually after that. But you know what? I don't think they know to this day how close that came. And, and the irony of it is, it just, to, just to shut them up and not have them freak out, I could have gone the other way. But by that time, then we're going back up that groove of what I had done already. And what I was familiar with. See what I'm saying? Ace repulsive. How spooky is that? Oh gosh, that is awful. But you know, like if he was not talking about his homicidal urges, oh. if he was just someone that you met. Yeah. He's talking about Bridgerton or something. Mm -hmm. You just, you just wouldn't think he's about to shoot you and but cut that, your head no. off. And rape no, your no, mouth, no, 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 no. Violently, know? sort of. But that's the problem. Violate you. That's why he's so frightening. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Because it could just be, it literally could be anyone. I'm yeah. a little bit disappointed in the detective. Was it a detective who said that he's likeable and he considers him FBI a agent. friend or whatever? There was a, there's a scene in um, Mindhunter, which I didn't remember when I was, when I was doing this and I spoke to Tony about it because we watched it together and he said he does remember this and you probably will too. But when they come in and they, in interview with him, one of the FBI agents, I think his name's Kessler, calls a guard and the guards don't come and the time goes on and on and he starts to get nervous yeah. about the fact the guard hasn't shown up and Ed says to him something like, oh, yeah, I could just twist your head right off, you know, right now I could just kill you. And and then there's sort of this half an hour standoff of Kessler trying desperately to not look frightened and say, mm. well, you know, I, I could have a gun on me. And he's like, you can't have a gun. They don't let you come in. He's like, I'm an FBI agent. I could do whatever I like, you know. And this sort of thing goes on. And Kessler's literally bricking himself the whole time. And at first it's like, oh, no, it's just the changeover. They'll be here soon. And as the guard finally arrives and he goes to come out of the cell, Ed puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I was only joking. And Kessler's like, to this day, I don't believe that he was. Mm. Like he was he was well capable of killing me. Mind you, it wasn't his MO because he didn't like killing men. Like yeah, he, yeah. His, his rage was towards women. But it was he was getting off on the terror. He was getting off mm. on how frightened that agent was. And when I saw it on Mindhunter, I didn't appreciate because it's a, it's a two-minute scene. You know, you make a show, mm. it's yeah, two yeah. minutes. Yeah. But to imagine being in a room with a man that you know is capable and wouldn't think twice about killing you yeah, and there is no one there to back you up, if there's no longer a false sense of security, that must have been absolutely terrifying. 
uh, just a little bit, I suppose, to round off around the Kempers, as in the, the wider family. So Clarnell was married three times, but I couldn't be bothered talking about it. <laughs> Suffice to say that she was dissatisfied with all the men in her life, and at the time Ed murdered her, she was divorced from all three of them. Susan, who's the older sister, has passed away, but um, Aileen or Aileen or whatever her name is, is still alive and apparently visits her brother and tries to help him where she can. There is a lot more. On Ed Kemper, if you want to go down, if you want to look into it, uh, he likes to chat. There's more interviews available. But, yeah, it's a dark and deep and not nice rabbit Mm. hole to go down. All right. So to sentencing. And I think, Swanee, this is one of your uh, wheelhouses when it comes to psychology and psychological nut punches. Um, The psych is almost textbook in some ways of this case. Um, What do you think? I don't know. I need a moment. Yeah, have a moment. I don't know where I'm going to go. I just need to think before I speak. I'm. I'll, I'll, how about I speak while you think? You go yeah, for it. Yeah. Okay. I um. I'm like this whole thing about how people know what he's done and still think that he's friendly and whatever. Like I look at him talking like that, and I go, "You are a complete psychopath." The fact that you can yeah. talk like that, as if it's some kind of story about your Sunday drive when you were going for a yeah. picnic when you're actually talking about killing people potentially and the fact that he almost sounds like he's holier than thou because he's trying oh, yeah. to push yes. them down. Oh, no, it's it's totally, I saved them. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, if it mm. weren't for me, they'd be dead. It's like, And they'd so... be dead in a horrible way. Like he's not apologetic about anything. That's why I'm no, right. struggling to quite often when these crimes happen that we look at, you know, something goes wrong or they're angry with somebody or something, you know, as a result of something. But he goes to such great lengths to make them about as violent and, and you know, really Vicious. the opposite of, you know, having no respect for someone, you know, when you desecrate somebody, really. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's what I'm after. That's where I'm struggling to come up with a, a sentence. punishment. Because I, when someone's that far off the scale for me, I don't understand how I could elicit a response in them that goes, well, she really put me, oh, not she, yeah, they yeah. put me she in my place. Yeah, she taught me a lesson. Yeah, well, what, what lesson would you teach someone who doesn't seem to have any sense of, as you say, it's it's not that he's an evil person who does certain things. It's a way that he presents himself as a very normal person who does these unbelievably outrageous crimes and yet still manages to present it as a, well, you know, this is what I do. You know, and he's not apologising except for the ones where he's saying they were very fortunate that, you know, and I, you know, lucky they wanted to go one way and not the other or vice versa. I think it was the other way around. What, oh. what worries me, I mean, obviously he's the problem, right, but but the fact that people can see past what he's done and still think he's friendly and you know, yeah. or, or use, use those kinds of words, whereas I, like, I don't trust what he's saying. Who knows whether there's how much truth there is in, in what he's saying. And I know he loves to speak openly about the crimes he's committed. And I know that they kind of link that back and go, yeah, he's consistent enough for it to be factual. But the fact that people who are, are in and around him can actually go, I think he's friendly, like <laughs> that's almost part of the problem because a kid who kills their grandparents the way he did deserves something a little bit more serious than what he got. I think, and I think the fact that people are so willing to look past those really horrible behaviours, I don't know, I find that scary in itself. I wonder if that sort of thing, you know, 
I wonder how much his physical being so tall, it's kind of that sort of in plain sight. You know, when you look at somebody and think, oh, my God, they look evil or whatever else. I don't really look at him and think anything. I just would have thought, oh, what a tall, awkward man. Do you know what I mean? It's really like his, the way he speaks, the way he presents himself is just so ordinary in some respects. You can't see enough of the evil. And, you know, sometimes you look at somebody and go, oh, oh, you know, people always say, oh, he looks like a serial killer. In actual fact, probably a nice person. And we've, we've seen on a number yeah, of occasions yeah. that sometimes these people just look really normal and that's why they can get away with things the way they do because people are looking for the sinister. They just see the, you know, the ordinary. I do really struggle with knowing how to, to make a, a sentence meaningful given just how macabre his crimes were. And then you know, it was never enough that he murdered them. It was what he then did to the bodies afterwards and how he chopped them up and how he kept the heads yeah, and how he yeah. that. That's where I think, how the hell do I, how could I possibly come up with something that's going to make light of that or put him in his place or I, that is so sick. I, I, I do think the stroke was a stroke of genius because <laughs> if, if it, I, I probably, I don't know how bad it is, but I would like the punishment to prevent him from being able to talk about his crimes anymore. I, I think he gets off on talking about his crimes. And so the, the joy that he exudes when he's talking about it, I think he's absolutely self-indulgent. You know, it's not like... I think he's zappling. What's he zappling? Yeah, zappling. Zappling, yeah, yeah. I think he's probably doing that. I think you're right. I absolutely think that that's part of it because it appears to me that someone who's so willing to be forthright and coming, oh, let me tell you exactly what's happened. Yeah. Oh, I did this, I did that. They love having an audience. They obviously want to share what they've done because I think they think they think they're smart. He does. You know, it's got to do with like a sense of intelligence and yeah. going, well, you know, this is why I do what I do. I've got away with this. You know, I'm friends with these people and I was friends with the police and, you know, I was, I'm was i friends with the psychiatrist and, I'm, you know, I'm working on these tests and whatever else. I'm superior in that way that I can get away with this stuff because, you know, I guess I'm just one step ahead of you. So I th- Let me tell you about it. I th- yeah, so I think a stroke that prevents him from being able to talk about his um, crimes is suitable. I do think he probably needs to be confined to a diet that only consists of a bag of dicks for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, and, and preferably he's unable to put them in his own mouth so he has to have them shoved down his throat. Um, choke on his own. Well, yeah, or just any random ones, a little bit of Sada Abe style, you know, just that. Uh, Gag on this, mm, mate. Like, because it's it's filthy. The this one, I mean, it makes me feel sick as you're going through it. The whole thing is just messed up, you know. And mm, and I've left quite a lot out. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And yeah. the pride that he shows yes. in it, you know, like he just thinks yeah. he's fantastic almost for doing it. And let me tell Absolutely. you another story about, you know. Let uh, me call you. I'm going to let you come and get me now because I think I'm done. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've achieved what I've wanted to achieve. So, look, you know, again, what is what are the folly of it all? It's enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I mean, f*** off. Exactly right. Ugh. The um, poor families who must imagine. That's horrendous. I think this just for your sentencing, this is another quote from him. If I killed them, you know, they couldn't reject me as a man. It was more or less making a doll out of a human being and carrying out my fantasies with a doll, a living human doll. I do think he... So he wanted to die from torture. I think having a bag of dicks inserted in him in any way that we could find possible would absolutely be horrendous for him because there's something about him trying to be a man through what mm-hmm. is done um, and maybe that might make him feel like 
He's Maybe his mother can be the person who's the one who's feeding him the bag. Yeah, 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 correct. Here, yeah, darling, here's a look. What's for dinner? Yeah, more dicks. Bag of dicks. <laughs> yeah, it just he makes me sick, and I, and I'm really annoyed at, at people in that workplace who think that he's friendly because you've got to be better than that. You can't be forgiving someone who's done all of those horrible things. And going, I can put all of that aside. He's just friendly. I like to sit down and have a chat with him. This has happened a couple of times no, though, where we do the does. model prisoner. Yeah, yeah. We do model prisoner time and time again. And it's like there's only one or the other. It's either they're, they're dreadful or they're model. And we don't ever say, oh, they were okay. They had some ups and downs. Whatever. It's, oh, no, no, no. They either continue to, you know, try and do stuff from inside or it's, it's wonderful and everyone's, yeah. you know, better than they ever were. I just don't buy it. What's your punishment, Schmitty? Oh, I was just, I'm just going to give you a few more bits. So oh, the uh, the thing bits. about being model is that he might be a, he might have met a model psychiatric uh, patient and certainly, you know, he's a model prisoner. But in the latter, the prosecutor has very clearly said he's never getting out. He's a danger to society. Yep. It doesn't matter how good he is. It doesn't matter what he does. So to probably make you feel a little bit better, Clarky, the wool has not been pulled over her eyes. She is She's never going to let it. that man get out. Yeah, 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 which is great. So, you know, that, and, and maybe it's a quote like this that sticks in her mind when she thinks like that, also from Mr Kemper. When I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to be real and nice and sweet and the other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. I mean, come on. <laughs> Why do you say this shit out loud? Oh. So I think for my punishment for Mr Kemper is sort of a, a kind of a roll-up of some bits and pieces. You know, I'm thinking about head on a stick and I'm thinking about, you know, the things that he's done and I'm like, oh, guy, I'm even casting my mind back to those poor cats. So I think I might bury him, you know. And I'm, what I'm not sure about is do I bury him alive like that poor cat, that first cat that he killed, or do I bury him up to his neck so that people can shove things into his mouth mm. and he has no control over it? Could you? Uh, so is there such a thing as a dick snorkel? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what. That's made it up. Yeah. If you bury him alive and he needs to get oxygen, the only way he can get it is through his dick snorkel. So he's got to put a dick in his mouth. And I think he would hate that and he would have to work out whether he wants to live or <laughs> be emasculated. Mm. Well, the other thing is, you know, as you know, it's physically impossible to fillet yourself generally, but we could remove a few ribs for him and then sort of squash him into a position where he has to perform iramashio on himself. Oh, but he's got to have his head chopped off if that's going to happen. Chopped off, yeah. You know, it's... Not necessarily. Yeah, no, iramashio does. doesn't require decapitation. Oh, no, no, but he he's, does. He's, he's yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. The, the jury has spoken. Yeah. Um, just, just to your point around what he says about, you know, when he sees a 15-year-old girl, he wonders blah, blah, blah. I... I go back to the psychological things he was doing in jail where he worked out what he had to say to to get released. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like he loves the notoriety and I just wonder how much of what he says is just him big noting himself, saying what he thinks people want to hear, yeah. you know, j just all of that. Like just take the camera away from him. Yes, I understand it's helpful for yeah. certain So let them do that, as you say, without and let no one Correct. else need to and know don't yeah. say that he's friendly and don't say that he's a nice bloke or whatever he's a oh you've psychopath. really helped us thank you so much yeah Crazy. just give him nothing 
But yeah, get on to it, but give him no him idea in a that that's been dark released. hole with a dick snorkel and let him yap away <laughs> all he wants when no one can hear. I think that's fair. No, 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 I think it's fair. He was he is a really revolting individual. <laughs> I always know what a dick snorkel is. I'm, I'm gonna be left it's... with that image now and I'm not quite sure what I'm even picturing. <laughs> I've got a very clear picture of it, which worries yeah, yeah. me hugely. It's, it sounds like a real thing, doesn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, right. I'm some I'm sex shop oh, it puts, probably is. It puts a new word to the um, new meaning to blowjob. All right. Well, I think on that note, we might uh, complete the story. Yay, so, Mr. Kemper. <laughs> so I'm glad that much. one's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, miss you already. <laughs> See ya. Ta-ta. Uh, bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.